0: All right, here we go. Today is Sunday. March 11th, 2018, and this is episode 212, also the boiling point, oddly, of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bull, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett.
1: Good evening, Jerry, and I apologize for all those who had a bet that we would go to Colombian prison.
0: We didn't. We did not. It was close. It was touch and go there for a little bit. (laughs) Well, that's why you don't touch them. (laughs) Touché. Touché. So um just to, before we go too far too much further a <laughs> reminder that the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employers and um uh, also a, just a early shout out um you know to to make sure people actually hear it uh thank you very much to our Patreon donors you guys are awesome yep um so yes we uh, both both Andy and I were in Bogota Colombia last week uh which was far more amazing than I had, um, you know, I had anticipate, anticipated. I've been all over the world in the past couple of years, but um, I, I got to tell you, I was really awestruck by the uh, the view out of the big windows from the the venue of the Tactical Edge Conference, which we were attending. It was uh, it was really incredible.
1: Yeah, it's it's a shame you didn't get a chance to kind of do the tour with us. That I know you were stuck working on crazy stuff, but uh, it's a beautiful city and. You know, if most folks kind of growing up around my age always viewed Colombia and Bogota as this drug war ravaged country, it's really not. Uh, Certainly there are parts of the country that I'm sure are a little more dicey, but Bogota itself felt wonderfully safe and really, really nice city. And uh, I, I felt very comfortable there and really enjoyed the trip. And, you know, shout out to Edgar Rojas, who put on Tactical Edge. This is the second year for that invited us down did, a, did an amazing job uh with a really complicated uh, situation trying to set up a conference in a country you don't live in i'm sure can't be easy and uh, we really appreciate him uh sponsoring us and and uh having us down for the for the conference
0: yeah and uh it was my my first opportunity to talk in, at a security conference so that was that was pretty cool um and uh i also want to thank edgar for that uh and and i I think he's already planning f- the third iteration of it. You know, I, I, I would say it's, um, you know, obviously it's a personal opportunity for him, but it's, um, it, as far as I can tell, one of the few kind of organized opportunities for this kind of, uh, you know, kind of deep technical discussions in, uh, in in much of South America. So it's pretty pretty cool opportunity to be part of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think all of our talks were recorded,
0: and will
1: be hopefully available online at some point. So uh, keep an eye on the twitters. We'll we'll throw out some tweets when Jerry and my's talk is available
0: for replay. Yeah, and, uh, not looking forward to mine being available. But that... well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Look,
1: for your first time, I think you did great. Uh, I mean, are you as polished as a TED talk? No, but you know, those guys have done thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of public speaking.
0: Yeah, that's fair. So uh, so what? tell me about or tell us and our listeners about your talk.
1: Uh, so I did a, a brand new talk that I've never delivered before that I put together for this conference. Ho- hopefully I'll get a chance to continue to refine it and deliver it elsewhere. But the fundamental topic was starting to shift our mindset to dealing with psychological attacks, uh, not just purely technical attacks. So uh, the, the, the argument that I make is that a lot of the initial attacks into environments today uh, come in some sort of psychological methodology, whether it be a phishing, a spear phishing, a executive interpretation, pretexting, uh, you know, hitting up a help desk, social engineering. Uh, and, and I think that we spend a lot of time buying solutions for technical attacks, which certainly are a component of the, uh, attack usually following on, but the, the initial component often is a social engineering attack. And I don't think that we are spending a lot of time thinking about that beyond, you know, annual training for employees and, you know, that sort of thing. So I kind of build an argument around uh, and, and discuss how variable human judgment is and, and how difficult it is for humans to be 100% perfect all the time and defending against these psychological attacks and uh, then start to, to build some potential solutions. I probably need to do some more work on that. But really, I, I just wanted to raise awareness around um, thinking more so about these psychological attacks than, than the industry typically does holistically today.
0: Yeah, I thought, thought it was uh, very
1: nicely done. So. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I mean, I know you're biased, but I do appreciate it. <laughs> what What about your talk? What What did you uh, talk about, though?
0: So, um, the the kind of the fundamental premise of my my presentation was about the things I've learned over the five years or a little over five years I've been doing the show and kind of thinking about, kind of re- reflecting on all of the the things I've learned and. One of the, I would say that the kind of the common thread between them all, and we've I've talked about this on the show before, is I really think that uh, many of the problems we have are stem they stem from uh, incompetence is not the right word it's it's a little too harsh right but the the inability for IT people and IT security people to really understand how to how how to best design environments, either either a network or a piece of software or a, you know an entire system in a way that is resilient and addresses the the threats that businesses face. And and likewise you know, we, we often suffer from this lack of creativity in understanding the kinds of uh, bad things that can happen. And you know, there's been a lot of examples in recent time, you know, I, I, I highly doubt that anybody at Equifax would have considered, you know, would have really thought that not patching that Apache strut server would have led to the the bad thing that happened, or you know, what, what the the case of Sony or Target, or I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And, and I I think one of the things uh, in my mind, we have to we have to get better at is instilling a sense of creativity and a sense of you know uh, understanding how things can fail in i t in order to uh, I- in order to really both des- properly design systems and also be able to communicate the the real risk or at least have a better understanding of what the real risk is. that's that was kind of my uh, my talk in a nutshell.
1: yeah, I, I thought it was good i i uh, I thought it was very interesting. I thought had some good points. I think uh, one thing that we discussed about is it's really tough for legacy environments to adapt. Yeah, Uh, and and you know, hence why we buy blinky boxes to, you know, stick on the side of our environment too, because it's very difficult to adapt (laughs) once it's in place.
0: It it is. It is. And I know you know this is kind of retreading stuff that we've we've talked about before, but you know, maybe, maybe there's new people, but you know, one of the one of the interesting things I've been, I, I've been thinking about is kind of it is uh, is like evolutionary biology, and you know, when 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 we see some major attacks like what happened with Sony or what happened with a lot of the companies that were affected by NotPetya and WannaCry, like they just burned it down and started over again, right? Like, and so it seems to me like, you know, if it, <laughs> if you if you don't find a way to do it, right? It proactively, do what? Um, rebuild or or retool your environment. Like so, yeah. you said you said it's it's difficult or or nigh impossible to take a legacy environment and transform it in a way that you know meet, it kind of addresses the the concerns I had. And I guess my 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 retort to that is, well, you may have an opportunity, right? <laughs> One
1: way or the other, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, if, if you don't do it proactively, you may have an opportunity to do it because um, you know it's all it's all been wiped clean or or destroyed. So anyway, so, um, good stuff.
1: Any thoughts from some of the other talks that we saw there?
0: Um, you know, an- Andy Ellis, um, I, he does a he. I've seen him talk a number of times, and uh, you know, he's the the CSO of Akamai and a very prominent industry figure and. Um, in in all of his talks, he makes heavy reference to behavioral economics and cognitive psychology. So, I mean, I from that perspective, I, I'm I'm very much biased in favor of of uh, liking the kind of the, the theme of his conversations. I thought Martin uh, Martin Fisher did a really nice job with with his talk, which was really around the importance of the coming automation of of information security. The premise being you know we w- things are getting more complicated and um kind of beyond our ability as as individual humans to handle and and um over time w- we have to co- we have to start handing that a lot of that stuff off to uh, to automation so it was a, that was a good do- good talk too and if you don't know martin uh, he is a CISO of a major healthcare
1: uh, hospital here in Atlanta and also um, runs the Southern Fried Security Podcast, which yeah. is also a good podcast.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it is so good. In fact, it's actually the second best Atlanta-based security podcast. Right b- right That's behind, fair. Right behind
1: fair, Yeah. Fair, fair assessment, sure.
0: Okay. So um, the other talk that we saw was from Taz, uh, GRC, oh, yeah. GRC Ninja.
1: Yeah, she did a really cool talk on on open source intelligence and um you know, setting up a, a threat intelligence program and uh a lot of stuff I hadn't really played around in much but uh, it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I I think um I think you know, the the summary of her at least my takeaway from her talk was you have to have a common vocabulary and you need mm-hmm. to uh you need to kind of document your processes in order for your uh, your program to be effective and for people to pay attention to it. And and in particular, she really hammered on the point that you need to have consistency in the way you communicate different terms. Like, you know, if you're gonna use high, medium, low, which we know has issues, you know, it, it should be consistent, right? Some It shouldn't sometimes mean a medium, it should always be the same. If you're gonna talk about, you know, probability or likelihood like you should be consistent in you know what you know what the word you use and your um your intended def you know your intended use of that word so that it doesn't vary from from instance to instance and and from person to person
1: sure yeah and uh it was also quite entertaining when she asked the crowd to stand up, and they 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 were like, "Hey, what?" And like, Drill and Sergeant Taz came out. I was pretty entertaining. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. No, it was uh, it was a cool talk. Uh, if you get the opportunity to hear her speak, definitely do so.
0: Absolutely. So anyway, it was a was was a good time. Um, it's it's not a it's not a long flight. It's like four and a half hours. Um, you know, apparently flights you can find some some really cheap flights. So you know, if you're uh, if you're so inclined, um, I you know I'd take a look at it next year. I um, I have no incentive to. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not being paid to say that or anything. I had a good time. It was it was fun. Anyhow, I think um, any any other news you want to bring up before we get. into uh, Besides
1: Atlanta. Oh, that's right. Yes. But uh, tickets are already sold out. <laughs> so, uh, but a lot of people do have conflicts come up and. I'll give their ticket back into Eventbrite. So keep an eye on the Twitters if you're
0: interested in, in the Atlanta area or nearby.
1: I got a ticket. So yep. I'll be there.
0: So did I. And and I think um they haven't they just opened their C F P, right? So the C F P is open. And that means yep. all of the people that's that end up speaking will put tickets back into the pot, probably.
1: Yeah. So uh I, I may submit and maybe the same talk refined a little bit that I did down in Columbia. We'll see. Um yep. I don't know. It, it's tough for me to come up with talks, so when I get one that works, I, I like to just kind of work on it, work on it, and for, refine it, and yeah, yeah. use it absolutely. But, you
0: know. All right. So,
1: uh, oh, go ahead. Anything else? Anything else you want to? Uh,
0: I think I think that's all the highlights of before we get into stories. Nope, that's it. So let's uh, let's get into it. So the first story. Um tonight comes from CSO online and the title here is SEC Guidance on IT security. Would you report security risks before a breach? So it's a it's a this is a you know a relatively long article about a recent piece of guidance that the Security and Exchange Commission here in the US released related to cybersecurity. And and I would say it had two main purposes. Number one was not so Enlightening, right? It was basically reiterating the importance of previous guidance released about calling out a public company's duty to enumerate threats in their in in their financial statements. Uh, And then the other item was to put companies on notice that they should that, that they should have some kind of a program in place that ensures. Executives or or others who are in the know uh, of breaches that have happened but not yet publicly announced are not trading stock during that kind of what I will call a quiet time, right? Where uh, the the you know post detection pre announcement we we saw this with a couple of recent breaches. I think um, um, was it Equifax? I, f- I forget. There was a uh, there was a couple of recent yeah. It, uh, examples where it appeared, and I and I, I think in hindsight there's probably valid explanations and or benign explanations, I would say behind much of what we saw. But the point was, th- there may be a, an appearance of impropriety if if um, you know, an executive is selling you know off selling stock at a time when they they you know internally they know about the breach uh, but it hasn't been reported yet. The idea. Being well, you want to if you, if you know about the the um, if you know about the breach and you and you sell it, you're effectively acting on insider knowledge, which if, you know is is um is not kosher. Uh, insider trading is not 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 well received here.
1: No, I I think the the what we may see coming is senior uh, security folks may end up being covered like most other executives, and they may have to set up a sort of pre-planned automatic trading schedule that
0: yeah like know, a blind point. system right right yeah.
1: exactly where you know a lot of executives it may or may not know this have this automated system that no matter what's going on they sell you know two percent of their vested stock every quarter or something to, to divest some money out of the company stock so
0: they can do other things with it but where they file paperwork that announces a, it discloses a sale like you know eight Six eight months in advance,
1: right? Exactly. So, it, it takes away any possibility of uh, an insider trading ac- ac- accusation, um, because it's such a planned activity. Right. Uh, and and with security incidents, uh, computer security incidents, starting to become so of interest of the SEC, I would not be surprised if uh, security folks start coming under that rule, uh, based on uh, public companies, you know, CFO funding, I imagine.
0: Yeah, there was a, there was an interesting comment in in here, and I, I will, I'll talk about the the article a little bit in a second. But there's an interesting comment in here that, you know, with especially in larger companies, it's conceivable. <laughs> and and I can certainly appreciate this. It's conceivable that, uh, you know, given the given the velocity and and common you know, commonality of of security incidents, and not. Entirely knowing at any given time which incident that you've just become aware of is actually some big thing. It's it's possible that at a sufficiently SAS company that there may never be a time, and and so from that perspective they may be forced into you know some kind of a structured yeah. uh, sale or or you know pre-announced type thing because it is you know it is entirely possible that you know you, you, if you're in a you know, if you're in the security or or incident response chain of a large company, I mean, it's not un <laughs> not unthinkable that you have multiple breaches or potential breaches uh, being juggled at any given time, and and if that's the case, you know, there's never a window for you to to right. sell. So um, that's an interesting conundrum. The the SEC doesn't r- with this announcement; they don't put out any new penalties they don't you know they, they're kind of um they're a little ambiguous and loose with the the specific guidance and in fact <laughs> the author of the story says you know the sec's new guidance needs new guidance because it's kind of ambiguous uh but you know they they kind of the sec basically says you know you as a company need to figure out how to integrate this concept into your insider trading program
1: yeah it's an interesting challenge uh you know, having to disclose to the SEC for for security issues definitely adds a wrinkle to whether or not you'd want to take a company public. Because oh, that's a good point. You know, he also mentions in the article about potential bad guys jumping on on the bandwagon if uh, if you have to disclose
0: some sort of issue. Well, that, so so that's you're on an interesting point because the I would say the author, in my view at least, the new news in this disclosure, this uh, this guidance released by the SEC, the new news was the focus on potential for insider trading. But the author spends most of the time talking about the other side, which in my view is just a restatement of what's already been issued as guidance, which basically says that you have to, as a public company, you have to disclose material threats to your business. And the uh, and, and you know the, the the author. I'm I'm not entirely sure if the author is reading something into it that's not there, or he's aware of some um, you know some other uh, uh, intention for this guidance that maybe is not obvious to somebody like me. But the you know, he, he really hammers on the the problem that would come with disclosing. Threat information or vulnerability information at a, you know, at a level that would enable attackers to have an advantage against you, and that and, and so he it's which is a good you know it's a good it's a good point on the on on the one hand the f the sec's view is you know everybody should have effectively the same kind of information about the health of a company and on the on, and, and that might say, well. Uh, if, you know, let, it's a stupid example, right? But if you've got web servers that are running uh, uh, old versions of of um, uh, of struts, right? Well, maybe that should be in your 10K. Right. And,
1: <laughs> this gets really interesting, right? Because we have hundreds of years of experience with accounting and, and reporting accounting. And we have this concept of general, generally accepted accounting principles. But how does that float over into the world of cybersecurity? Uh, am I going to have to report when I've got, you know, 3% of my devices didn't get an AV DAT file update last month?
0: Yeah. Or, that, or you could you,
1: spin, right? <laughs> it's really complicated in a hurry.
0: Or, or your EDR solution was just, you know, downgraded by Gartner's, you know, in terms right. of effectiveness. You know, is that a, is that a reportable threat?
1: Uh, this gets messy in a hurry.
0: So anyway, um, you know, I, none of those questions are answered, but right. they are... Um, They're teed up, and I think over time this is something we're going to have to wrestle with more and more. Again, I I don't think on the on the material issue disclosure front, my read of the um, you know of is a twenty four page document. My read, and I didn't read it every single word, but my read of the document was you know basically telling companies you've got to you've got to pay attention to this insider trading threat and and make sure you do something about it and by the way that guidance we issued back in 2011 about uh, identifying material cyber stuff in your reports is still really important (laughs) so um, yeah
1: it'll get interesting I I think ultimately where this will translate is even more executive oversight of the security teams Uh, Yeah, absolutely (laughs) with all the good and ill that that brings
0: yeah well you know it, some may say that that probably should happen anyway so but uh, yeah but i, I mean I, I get your, <laughs> I it, get your it's point. it's
1: it's it'll be painful in the short term as the just fix it crowd shows up <laughs> and we we have to use those opportunities to educate right
0: right all right so moving on to our next story which comes from zdnet title here is hackers are selling legitimate code signing certificates to evade malware detection and this one is written by uh you know somebody i'm a, a huge fan of zach whitaker he's definitely have a you know a journalist man crush on him so
1: wow do I you know. two want to be, be alone for no, the no story no, it's, it's okay well, i could
0: i could step away from the podcast for a moment if you'd like <laughs> no zach's a good guy we yeah. like zach so um so po- the point here is um there's a there's been an i think this was the result of a report from recorded future they they found that there is a organized crime underground for selling code signing certificates and historically we've thought about this in terms of companies or, or attackers adversaries stealing the code signing certificates of legitimate companies and what seems to be novel here is that there's an industry of people who are going to pretty, uh, well, as far as I can tell, pretty extensive lengths to obtain actual code signing certificates for you know what's seemingly legitimate companies. And they do that through um, faking documentation or, or maybe even, you know, re- registering a company, I mean, I'm just, uh, there isn't, this isn't one of the examples, right? But, you know, let's say you go and you, you find a way to register uh, a, a corporation in your local county as Microsoft, and and if that happens, then not, now you have a piece of paper that you can send over to a certificate authority and conceivably get a signing certificate in that company's name. Now you're able to effectively sign, um, you know, code in a way that looks like it's from Microsoft and and you know the the problem a lot of us have i think is in in some especially in some of the more mature organizations who have things like application whitelisting and and other controls like that it's not uncommon to see certificates as a as a source of trust to determine right. whether or not you should allow something to run and you know the 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 whole point here is the bad guys have found A new way to get over that hurdle.
1: Yeah, it's one more area that we had some confidence in that's now been diluted. So I've got a solution. All right. I think if we get the people behind the Twitter blue checks involved with code signing, (laughs) because
0: they don't give those out to anybody.
1: (laughs) That's that's brilliant. It is. It is. But (laughs) wow. So this, this is an interesting challenge, right? So where, where it really comes down to, I think, in, in a, a blue team environment is we've got to look and see if our security controls or malware controls are, are overweighing whether or not something has a legitimate certificate as to whether or not it's good or bad. Because if that's how your whatever it is, is inspecting and is finding bad stuff is based whether or not it has a legitimate certificate, that's probably not good enough anymore. And uh, you should probably know about that weakness.
0: Yeah, I mean now it's it's, I, it's really unclear to me how common this is. We know it's happening, and and it, uh, apparently sure. according to this report, the, the the perpetrators or or the you know the, the the group that was off registering these these code signing certificates had sold over sixty certificates in six months. So it's not, you know, I I would I would assume that. Once a certificate is tied to some piece of malware, which you know, depending on the nature of the malware, look, it may never get detected. Right? I mean, that's <laughs> it's not a it's not a foregone conclusion. But I would imagine that if it does get caught, that certificate's going to get burned, and um, it, will pro- it may not work. So, anyway, it's um it's something to look out for. It sounds like uh, you know possible new trend to get around some of the more contemporary uh, uh, attempts to block malware. So, you know, caveat emptor. Indeed. All right, so moving on. Um, I'm not sure if this is the first Yahoo News story we've had, but it's among the first. So this one comes from Yahoo News. Title is, Equifax Breach Could Be Most Costly in Corporate History. Uh, so, so those who are, you know, if you've been listening to the show for you know more than a more than a little while, you have no doubt heard about the you know the horrific breach that that Equifax suffered last year. We made reference to it earlier in this in this show, where a uh, a web server, a publicly available web server, was running a, a apparently an outdated version of Struts. That version of Struts was exploited and uh they they stole all the data at least one person stole all the data uh and last year they incurred um you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in breach related costs they're forecasting another 275 million this year which takes the total up to f- uh the expected total up from the breach to almost a half a billion dollars which is you know you're starting to get into real money there you know
1: it is however and i don't think this was covered in this article their cyber insurance paid out quite heavily
0: yeah 125 so actually they they, they do they do very make a very passing reference to the fact that 125 million apparently is being covered by insurance but i will tell you you know i've had i've had discussions with a number of people <laughs> and no one could quite seem to come to a consensus on how much is uh is being covered by their insurance and you know i i, I had a i had a uh a pretty uh, not intense right but a, a spirited discussion on twitter about you know how much how much a uh, insurance policy you can you, you can get these days and i'm my guess is that uh this was the result of like accumulating a bunch of different policies together from different carriers but anyway it's that's it, it's uh,
1: interesting though and and I promise you that executives are looking at that insurance payout right now and I I think cyber insurance is going to be a, a heavily weighted part of risk avoidance going forward
0: oh absolutely absolutely you know that that, that brings up other questions you know like how do you how do you price it and and things like that? But you know, I I the last time I looked in, I, it looked under the covers. Something like a hundred twenty-five million dollars in in cyber coverage would would probably run you, you know, like half of that, right? It's it's not like um it's not like you you know you're, you're paying two hundred bucks a month for your million dollar auto coverage, right? It, it, that's not what this is. This is, um, this is very different. So
1: so take it with a grain of salt, but I yep. did see a tweet of Jeremiah Grossman, who's well known in the industry, uh, estimating, of his estimation, that Equifax's cyber insurance premiums are probably around $2 million per year. I have no idea what he based that on. I don't know how, how accurate that is, but that was just...
0: You know, if that is the case, that, that's a relative bargain. You know, if, yeah, if,
1: if, I mean, once you've been breached, sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: but compared to the cost of most of your InfraSec tools and your, uh, you know, people expense and everything else, that's really not that much for a large company.
0: No, no, it's it, it really isn't. I it, mean,
1: you you spend that much on quote unquote entertainment costs when you travel?
0: Hey, now, I mean, look. I gotta, I gotta have, I gotta feel good. So I gotta have the entourage of you know people constantly complimenting me. I mean, it's just, <laughs> just the way it is. Um, so, so the other thing they they mentioned in here is that um, apparently, Equifax just realized that you know it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't 147 million customers. It was you know actually another two and a half million customers. <laughs> They were affected. They they apparently just found out about another two and a half million customers who had their data stolen in the same breach, and allegedly, and I haven't independently confirmed this, but I have no no reason to think that it's not true. Um, they've in their most recent SEC filing, interesting given the conversation we had a couple of minutes ago. Um, they, they actually mentioned they call out that the the uncertainty around potential future impacts arising from finding that even more people's data was breached.
1: Which is an interesting problem, right? We've got all these breach notification laws that, you know, some say within 30 days. When, But it, there's a lot of fog of war trying to figure this out. And this, I think, is going to keep happening if we have these really aggressive breach notification laws where not fully understood and contained breaches are going to get reported and then have to be revised. Now, I don't know what the impact of that will be, but it I think it would be better for an organization to be able to give the full story once than have to keep going back and re, you know revising it.
0: Yeah, that that's something that scares me and and I did talk about this a little bit in my presentation at, at Tactical Edge. That scares me about some of the new regulations like the GDPR and the NY, the New York Department of Financial Services, both of which have a a 72-hour breach disclosure requirement. And, you know, certainly the DFS has, (laughs) I assume, much less severe punishments than the GDPR does. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see under the, you know, under the, the jurisdiction of the GDPR. If a cus- if a company has a, you know, has a chain of events that look like this, where they make a disclosure, and maybe let's say they do disclose within the the 72 hours, you know, and th- but then they come back, you know, six months later, or, you know, quarter later, whatever, and say no, no, that it wasn't that. It was an actually two and a half million higher. I don't know how that's going to play. Uh, But
1: yeah, yeah, law of unintended consequences, right? Yeah, and and I I just think lawmakers think that we have perfect immediate knowledge, and we don't.
0: Correct. Ever. Right. (laughs) Right. Uh, So. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times we don't realize what's going on until we see it posted on you know posted on some online site for sale, and we kind of you know base the you know base the the amount of data that's been stolen based on what we find, we, we find in these marketplaces or, you know, we, we try to theorize how, uh, you know, how long they had access for and the data transmission rate and, you know, try to figure out, okay, what's the maximum number of records that they could have got, but, you know, don't really know exactly the complexities that are driving this churn in, uh, in, in Equifax, but, you know, whatever you want to say about Equifax, that they probably have a relatively sophisticated, uh, you know, security and it staff. I mean, it doesn't certainly doesn't look like it in hindsight, given what happened to them, but you know, they handle a lot of sensitive data and I've got to believe they've been, you know, a, a prime target for all, you know, all adversaries for, for many, many years. And so, um, you know the, the if you if you consider the timeline they had i i really think um you know companies that that are smaller less sophisticated have you know are going to have a real hard time with with things like the gdpr's breach law but you know what we'll we'll see right i mean i we don't know how it's going to play out we you know the the re- the regulators the data protection authorities in uh, in europe may take uh you know take into consideration the you know the 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 honest efforts that companies who have been breached may uh, you know may, may be putting out so anyway we shall see indeed all right a next story comes from eweek and the title here is crowdstrike reveals time to break out is key cybersecurity metric um you know, uh, this is another no. one of those things where you have to take it with a grain of salt, right? Because
1: yeah, you took the words out of my mouth.
0: <laughs> it's a vendor. It's a vendor but, report, but it 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 raises it some. It, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Sorry, it, I were completely trying to say the same thing. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, it raises some interesting points. Um, and by the way, I before I forget it, they they mention in here, you know that. Malware is uh you know that obviously a lot being CrowdStrike right they're they're. I tend to be fairly heavily uh, malware focused, and th- they point out that it, you know, as a as an organization, you all, you should take steps to fully, you know, it's to the extent you can take many of the, as many of the malware problems off the table as possible through, I assume, things like whitelisting and other things, so that you are left, you know, only researching and analyzing things that are you know that are potentially more sophisticated so
1: automated responses to the, to the fluff yeah well, I, not automated but it, it's it's a great idea but man is it tough
0: well I think the the I think back to some of the discussions we had you know sidebar discussions in tactical edge and with with different people and you know there's a there's a lot of Creative and, and maybe non, um, you know, non AV next next gen AV style avenues. Like, you know, does everybody need an internet accessible email address? And you know, and and certainly in in many knowledge the case of many knowledge workers, it's you know it's a silly question. But you know, what about manufacturing shops or or retail stores or <laughs> things like that? The the point is there. There's probably a way to To try to take as many of those, you know, what I'll call garden variety malware type things off, so that you're you're spending your effort looking at um, you know the the more interesting things. So, anyway, to to get into it, CrowdStrike has they, they've they released a seventy page report. They process a hundred billion events a day. Yawn, yawn, yawn. Whatever, uh, but the point of the one of the interesting points in the report that this article is actually focusing on is this concept of breakout and their their definition of breakout is uh nearly all attacks proceed kind of logically in a similar manner right there is an asset that's attacked and then that the the adversary will take efforts to to move laterally to other systems. It's usually not that first system that has the stuff they want. And so they've yep. got to move off of that. And so that's what they're calling time to breakout. And they, they say the average time to breakout, so f- the average time from the point at which an adversary obtains some kind of access to an asset to the time where they've broken... You know, they've broken out of that asset into other parts of the network is an hour and 58 minutes.
1: So, something something like somebody clicks on a malicious phishing link that drops the initial foothold malware onto a average computer, average or, PC right. that a user is using. And it's then they spend that two hours roughly doing recon and figure out how to do lateral movement or right. escalation or whatnot. So, it's it's that. They're saying within that two-hour average time frame, you better be able to detect that initial footprint and that initial foothold, and contain it at that point, or or you're going to lose control of the breach. Is how I read it.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. So they're, um, they they break it down. You know, they they, they point out that you know it, it, it's interesting the way they talk about this because they they're kind of at the other end of the spectrum of what. The Verizon data bre- data breach investigations report often talks about how, you know, the the attackers are in for months before the bad thing happens, and and I guess you can kind of reconcile those two, you know, potentially by saying, well, they don't necess- it doesn't necessarily turn into per se a data breach after the two hour average time frame like that's just the time it takes them. To get off that asset, so they could still be in your network for another six months before they've, you know, before they go and they've actually find the stuff that they're looking for. Um, so, anyway, uh, they have they had three key metrics: um, the time to detection, and, th- and they say that the best organization should be able to detect threats within a minute. And, and, you know, I have a hard time wrapping my head around that. And I and I suppose that's probably in some way, shape, hey, or if, form self-serving, if you, right?
1: If you give me a, a, a static limit of a certain number of attacks that I know I can detect, sure, I can do it inside of a minute.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, but
1: that's akin to saying, hey, AV will catch everything. Correct. I, I, uh, yes, I think I think that is – now, if you look at something like a CrowdStrike report, I think that they probably – I'm trying to be generous here – have their own metrics of we, on average, detect the first event within a minute, but that's like trying to prove a, a negative of how can you know what you didn't detect within a minute? In other words, they're probably basing this upon their own experiences, but – Maybe they're stuck in their own marketing echo chamber. I don't know. It's a really weird metric.
0: Yeah. So a a, a possible way to read this, and I think you're on you're on the right wavelength there. I, I I think what what they're saying is you have a tool on an endpoint, right? And and maybe that's Symantec. maybe it's CrowdStrike, maybe it's Carbon Black. You know, whatever, right? I think what they're saying is that. So the tool detects. There's a there's an implicit assumption that the tool is able to detect the attack, and okay. I think what the, I think what they're saying is that, assuming the tool, whatever that is, detects the attack, some some human should acknowledge that within a minute. That's what the, I think they're saying, and like like the sock, you know. So basically, it says that, you know, you're. I, I think it's more of a statement about the SOC than it is about the tool on the endpoint. Now, it's a good point that, you know, you, depending on what thing you have on your endpoint, you may or may not detect an actual attack. But I think what they're saying is that you have plumbing set up so that from the time a a bad thing is detected on an endpoint, it gets into the SOC, so to speak, and it gets acknowledged uh, by you know by someone and the and then the you know the 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 machine starts to work within a minute, so so the next
1: oh there's so many assumptions that go
0: into that. oh I know absolutely, uh, but you know it so so let's take f- just for a second here okay right. let's let's pretend this isn't silence okay let's let's <laughs> right let's pretend it was. I don't know some university or or it was some independent researcher or, or whatever right I I think there is value in in benchmarking how long does it take on average be, you know from the time at which your one of your endpoint tools detects something until your soc acknowledges that and so I, so if you think about it in terms of a series of of kind of capabilities and you want to to look at each of these three capabilities and try to turn down the you know the amount of time now I'm we're not talking that that's completely ignoring the fact that our tools may not detect this
1: right sure so I, agreed we'll, we'll give you that understanding that we're detecting it right i think we still have a big challenge of how many alerts are coming into the sock correct uh, how often the SOC can manually look at those alerts and do something with them. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes into this. If if we looked at a single alert in a vacuum, this makes sense. But we have to keep in mind that there's probably thousands of alerts per hour coming into a SOC or into a SIM. And there's probably a bit of triage. If we had perfect alert fidelity, this would be an easy thing, but we don't. And the problem is when you start chasing this, every alert is valid. You run the risk of tuning out false positives to the point where you're getting false negatives. And so th- this is an art form, and it's a tough problem.
0: It, I, I completely agree with everything you said, but I think the point is being able to benchmark it, right? And, yeah. and, and maybe maybe CrowdStrike's one minute is right? not right. I mean, let's, let's just take it, you know, completely abstract it and so say...
1: Acknowledge is one thing, but truly... Understanding it in context and whether or not we need to take an action is something entirely different.
0: Understand, but so, so follow me for a second. So okay. you're 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 running the security program for a company, and and you know every all of us who are in such situations are are typical, especially if we're giving in, given any amount of money. You know, we're expected to produce metrics and and one of the interesting metrics would be if if you were to induce a detection like i don't know how i mean there's probably a million and one ways to do it right but you, let's say your your sock and all of your tools are effectively quote steady state a test would be on maybe on on you know some periodic basis some random basis i don't know right but you do something to induce an alert on one of your endpoints, and you, you're now you you basically start a stopwatch, right? Okay, and you know you stop the stopwatch once you you've come to realize that the uh, it, that the sock saw it and, and acknowledged it, and you know maybe there I so so anyway that's a that's an interesting number to be able to take forward because to your point. It is very situational. It is very much right. dependent on all the other in, you know, logs that are coming in, but it is very interesting to, to I think to be able to say to management, Look, we have we have these tools on our endpoints, we have a SOC, we got people manning the SOC, but given the way things are you know, are, are configured today, when we run a test, it takes our SOC on average forty five minutes. I mean, making it up, right? To acknowledge sure. that that something happened, and by the way, half the time, it never goes acknowledged. Right. And I, so I think that's an interesting met- possibility for metric.
1: Goes back to the target breach. They had alerts, but they missed them.
0: Right. Exactly. But,
1: but I think that's incredibly common. Right. We well, agree. Yeah. This is so. This gets into this, and this is why I kind of struggle with this article. Is it gets into a much bigger issue, which is, you know, managing that alert velocity.
0: I agree. And actually doing but, something with it. But the, so so let's you you're I think you're right on the money. But what if Target had this kind of metric in place? And 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 it was common knowledge, I mean if management was made aware that you know the SOC is overwhelmed and they're not
1: Okay. Lo- let me let me play that out. Here's how I think it's going to go. If you measure your SOC analysts on how quickly they acknowledge and deal with an alert, Ninety eight percent of them I, are gonna be acknowledged closed, acknowledged closed, acknowledged closed.
0: Per, perverse incentives, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I know what you're saying. I don't have the I don't have the full answer.
1: <laughs> I mean it I think it's an interesting discussion. I think yeah. I think right. But it's
0: and, and and so I guess what I'm saying is it to me and there's two more metrics that we haven't talked about yet right but right. there's um, <laughs> I, I think it would be interesting to to benchmark yourself and say okay you know we we run a series of tests but we're is not
1: speed really the right thing to measure or is it quality is it accuracy
0: well I, th- I think it's both i mean i don't they don't talk about accuracy or quality here but i think if you're going to do this you would want to have some kind of accuracy included in there right and and uh, and and by the way the idea is that if you're not happy so you you establish a program to manage this or to to measure this right right? and it's not in my view at least the the dumb thing to do would be to you know have like a wall of shame or you know (laughs) you know (laughs) fire people based on you know on their effectiveness of that to me it seems more like if you're not if if you run this measurement for some period of time and you're not happy with where it is at, it's not whipping the sock analysts. It's it's something has to fundamentally change. You know you right. have to change the the tuning on the on the sim, which has its own as you mentioned has its own implications of maybe you're trading off false positives for false negatives or maybe it's you know we need more sock analysts or maybe it's um you know we're like we're inundated with antivirus alerts and so maybe what we ought to do is you know put in whitelisting right and, and then you know maybe that causes two orders of magnitude reduction in logs and so anyway um point is that it's 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 a I- at least in my mind it's something that would allow you to identify, you know, are you, are, are you happy with where you're at? Are you, are you not? And I do think, by the way, to your point, accuracy has to be a component of that. It's not just time. I agree. So the second metric is <laughs> <laughs> time. Time. I can see how this is going to go.
1: Yeah, Ta- well, you picked this article, buddy.
0: Time to investigation should be tracked to determine how long it takes to investigate a detected threat. Everything I just said again. Investigations can involve humans and should take approximately ten minutes okay i've been in i've been in the security field oh, for a long 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 time, and so now what 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 they are saying is that at minute eleven <laughs> at minute eleven when one of your endpoints becomes compromised, you have not only detected it acknowledged it but you've also completed the investigation.
1: I think the only viable way you're going to get there is with a whole bunch of automation, potentially even AI with a human going, show me all your conclusions. Yes, I agree. Or no, I don't. And
0: and, and by the way, I assume. And so let's go back. we'll, We'll do the third one and then we'll come back. Um, For the best organizations, a time to remediation for the best organization should be within one hour. So from the time that your thing, whatever it is, has detected that an endpoint has been compromised to the time that effectively you can close the incident, I mean, you know, it's all over but the crying and the RCA, is an hour and 11 minutes.
1: So... If I'm talking a random user's endpoint, possibly. If I've got some weird behavior coming off an endpoint that is just, you know, a secretary's laptop or a you know, a developer's laptop, or I'm trying you know, not to pick anyone, but not a server, right? I could probably Mm -hmm. pull that from the network and investigate it at my leisure. No big deal. Probably doesn't have much impact. But let's say it's my oh, one of my Active Directory primary servers or or a application server that i don't have a fully redundant backup for i gotta be a lot more cautious on just yanking that off the wire
0: yeah uh, but by the way i assume that if you were to call up your crowdstrike salesperson and say hey i just read this article how the hell do, you know do you do that i would almost guarantee they would say well as a matter of fact our you know our uh why would our, you
1: like to have a have a call on that?
0: Yeah, our artificially okay. intelligent machine learning thing in the cloud can absolutely right. they could do it in a in one hour and nine minutes. But but I think, <laughs> you know, in in some respects this um a lot of these types of reports are kind of self serving to be able to highlight you know, they, they they release a report that plays to the strengths of their, of course. Of their product. But be that as it may
1: in other news, CrowdStrike will not be sponsoring the show anytime soon.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. I I don't know enough about CrowdStrike to say one way or another. I'm just saying that in general, yeah. Like you and you said this, by the way. I mean, this is yeah. your kind of your yeah. mantra, right? They, <laughs> right. they, they build the straw man, and then they will help you. They will help you burn the straw man to the ground with of their course. with yeah. their products. Right. But but what what resonated with me when I was reading these was not necessarily the one minute, ten minute, one hour concept it was uh, most of us including uh, particularly me maybe it's just me right most of us at some point in our careers especially as we elevate up the ranks are are, are told we need meaningful metrics
1: uh, agreed but the worst part about metrics is that they can the, the perverse incentive argument i've seen i know the, uh, the tyranny know. of metrics cause so much unintended bad consequences that I'm very cautious about throwing metrics on people.
0: Completely agree. I, I mean I <laughs> I agree. However, it's <laughs> you can't get away from it. Right? No
1: you're right but it, and it's amazing every time I mean, because I've had these arguments a lot internally at various organizations and it comes back to your exact point. Uh, yeah okay so we kind of see what you're saying Andy but we still need metrics so tough
0: <laughs> and, and what I'm saying is if you're going to do it in my in my mind it should be worthwhile right it, it, it should metrics should always tell a story and result in an action if you know so in, in my view these three I I personally the reason I included the story is I personally like these metrics. I hadn't really thought of these as something to measure before. And I th- I think there might be something here. I don't know that this is the end, right? I think that um I think that there's other kind of associated or related metrics like quality and, you know, false positive rates and things like that. But, you know, it gives you a you know, it gives it gives it, I think security leadership and ability to, to talk sensibly, or or you know, candidly, and, and uh, about the capability to detect, investigate, and respond. And and by the way, you know, maybe in an average organization, the real numbers are, you know, a day, a week, and a month. <laughs> I I mean, <laughs> I don't know, right? Right. But the point is. If you if you do measure them, then it may help justify, uh, you know, the improvements. And and you know, certainly, as with all metrics, some managers can take them and do horrible things. <laughs> but uh, I I can't help that, right? In the
1: interest of time, I will just nod and smile at this point and and, right. and say a prayer for your employees. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> All right, and then uh, last story for today comes from SecurityWeek.com. The title is "Sophisticated Cyber Spies Target Middle East Africa ri- uh, via Routers," or I guess if you're if you're over there, it's probably said "routers." I would I would think <laughs> probably. So, um, you know, it's this is um, n- there's not a ton of content in here, but there was one thing that really just got under my skin about this article. Okay. Uh, so you know the, the the story here is that a bunch of countries. There's been um about a hundred victims across a bunch of different African countries, uh, and you know it was apparently, allegedly, an a, you know an APT style attack hmm. uh, dubbed Slingshot. The name of the attack was Slingshot, uh, and and that's you know like with most malware names, it's based on stuff that's in the in the actual malware, and it it infects victims through uh, routers made by micr- uh, Microtic. Microtic, sorry, Microtic. That's probably how you say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I guess all of the victims here had had this type of router. The the you know, the, the investigators here didn't. No, I guess this Kaspersky Lab is the the group that you know wrote wrote this up. But they don't know the initial point of entry into the the these microtic routers, but they did note that the WikiLeaks Vault seven files have references to uh tools that are targeted at microtic routers. Microtic for their por- their part has said that they fixed the vulnerabilities that were you know identified in the in the vault seven leaks here's where it gets really weird okay so the the adversary through some mechanism compromised got access to the microtic routers at these organizations and they um because the microtic router apparently if you're gonna administer the router Uh, When you connect to, I guess, this is my interpretation of what's said here, when you connect to the router to perform administrative functions, your computer, your Windows computer, will download a DLL from the router and load it. So you see where this is going.
1: (laughs) Why? Why? (laughs) No. So no,
0: but it's an interesting, it's an interesting style attack uh, because you know the it's targeted, I guess, at the administrators of these routers who probably also have elevated permissions on other systems in the environment because you know they're administrators. So, um, but wow, I didn't know that was a thing. I I was I was really stunned.
1: Now the only thing I would say is that. This feels, ahem, I don't mean this harshly, but it doesn't seem to be that widespread of an attack, and it seems very small and targeted, so it's more of a novelty than a real concern to me at this point.
0: It—it It is, but what, what was enlightening to me is that there are routers out there <laughs> that <laughs> will push a DLL to your employees' laptops. But,
1: what, what if you don't have a Windows box?
0: I don't know. It's I guess I don't know, it's a good question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It's a good question. Oh. So, you know, they they
0: point out that you know, once once your system once a system gets infected, the DLL is loaded, oh well, the DLL is loaded with system privileges and then it's kind of game on. It has uh has a bunch of different functions like a um anti debugging has rootkit functionality it uh, has network communications and and um, it has a keylogger and it apparently works in similar ways to some of the other some of the other implants where the you know i guess it's it's loading a network shim and the the malware is actually looking for packets that have a certain type you know certain um uh, a certain type of string right, and otherwise mm-hmm. if it doesn't see that string, it just ignores the traffic everything goes on uh but the attacker can communicate directly with their malware if they if they alter a you know they craft a packet in a certain way and it gets it gets taken by this by this shim so um we've seen that a bunch in in other cases right i mean i think um, mm-hmm. was it regen and flame, i think uh, did did something something similar so um so you're right it this this apparently has been going on since 2012 there's been 100 victims they're all apparently in africa or or <laughs> the middle east so it's not like you know this isn't something that we should run around with our hair on fire but it again you know another one of my the points i made in my presentation in colombia was these tactics you know, the, the, we're not the only ones reading this article.
1: Right. No, that's very true. Yeah, the bad guys can go, hey, that's an interesting idea.
0: Right, right. Yeah. What great. What? What else loads DLLs? hmm Computers. So, uh, so anyway, that that's something to be aware of when you're buying IT. Uh, you, oh, yeah. You know that... It never ends, does it? No, no, it does not. So anyway, <laughs> that... That's uh, that's what I had to say about this one. Anything else?
1: Uh, no, no. I think it's it's an interesting, interesting, weird little attack vector. That's for damn sure. That's for uh, sure. But uh, no, I think I think we probably worn out our welcome with most of our listeners by this point.
0: Yeah, it's uh, what time? Is, oh, yeah, it's almost Matlock time. So, <laughs> all right. But,
1: uh, uh, thanks everybody for listening. By the way, I know that we've been a little sporadic in our recording. We apologize. Uh,
0: real
1: once, life gets in the way.
0: Yeah, once the GDPR, you know, once May twenty fifth comes, I I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that I'll be, you know, not in prison, a and um, uh, you know, have have a little more time because well, if
1: you are in prison, you might have a lot of free time to edit and post recordings.
0: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> keep, um, keep going to Columbia, you know. Never know. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah. No. Uh, so. So we know we're trying to get back on a weekly schedule. We're, you know, I, what can I say? This is uh, uh, the best effort recording. I guess is the best way to put it.
0: Life keeps happening. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. You yes. can. I'll post the stories on our website at www.defensivesecurity org. You can follow the show on Twitter at Defensive Sec. You can follow Mr. Kellett on Twitter at Lurg. That's L-E-R-G. And me mm-hmm. on Twitter at malicious link. And with that, if you know the planets are aligned, we'll talk again next week. See you guys. Bye bye.